Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 10.30 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now, here's this week's message from Hollyview Church, as guest speaker Bob Moffat preaches from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, with a message entitled, Things That Still Amaze Me About Being a Follower of Jesus. Well, good morning. feel like I'm among a few friends. I know some of you. Wonderful. We uh, got to know your pastor real well. He's that cornerstone. And I guess that's the reason I'm here. Uh, we also had some connections with the denomination, believe it or not. Uh, we uh, lived in Calgary for I don't know how many years, quite a few years, Calgary, Alberta. We joined a church there and got involved with a group of fellowship of church in northeast part of, northwest part of uh, Calgary called uh, Hawkview. And that church was in an AB church, ended up supporting us. And we became an elder there. And so, and I've been to some of these meetings that your pastor's at right now. So we do have a lot in common. But the most thing we have in common is we love Jesus. And uh, I want to tell you about that. I haven't preached much lately. I'm 89 years old. For some reason, most of us can't even make it up here to the pulpit when we get this. <laughs> but I made it. And I'm hanging on. <laughs> uh, in fact, I'm going to make this really personal. You know, things that still amaze me about being a follower of Jesus. One thing I have really determined that I, when I got old, was to go in to put my spiritual life in the neutral and coast into heaven on everything I'd ever experienced before. I want to be alive spiritually. I want to be fresh spiritually. And I want to be amazed if we're not amazed about, if you're not amazed, and I'm not amazed about our relationship with God, it was like living it boring. <laughs> I had to do that. Everybody does it. But uh, I, I, I love lists. Uh, list of the death of me. For uh, I didn't realize it, but you know, like. You go to Facebook and they say 10 things about, you should know about this, or 10 things about this, and then you try to follow what the 10 things are. 7,500 ads later, you're still trying to find out what number six is. <laughs> you ever done that? <laughs> I quit. I refuse. But uh, there's a lot of lists. I like to make them. I realize that's why I like Consumers Report. There's always a list of... All these, uh, who's, what's best? What's the best kind of soap to use? Tide, by the way, it said last week. <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of lists in the Bible, really. 
there, there really is. There's, uh, uh, first list is the Ten Commandments. Ten things you shouldn't do if you want to be a obedient believer in God. And uh, there's, there's a list of things in Galatians that tell me what the fruit of the Spirit is. There's a list of churches in Revelation that tells what kind of church is a good church or a bad church. Uh, there's a, a list that Jesus gave of eight things that you should do if you want to really be blessed, the Beatitudes. So uh, it's not too bad to like lists. A few years ago, I, I, I make lists about myself as well. I made a list a few years ago about Ten things that amaze me about God and Jesus. And uh, I've updated that occasionally. And depending on what's going on in my life, I kind of rearrange from one to ten, depending on what's happening. So here I am today, and I'm going to share not ten things, because we, we don't want to go that long. Maybe I'll get three, or maybe I'll get four. You know, you, in the book of Proverbs, there is a lot of lists. Proverbs chapter 30. In fact, if you have a, you want to look in the Pew Bible there, it's page 579. Uh, the book of Proverbs chapter 13 lists a bunch of things that uh, this writer uh, finds amazing or whatever, you know, uh, in Proverbs 30, it says, uh, There are three things that are never satisfied, four that said never say enough. And he lists what those things are. Uh, there's uh, other lists given there, but one that um, kind of set me off thinking about this is uh, one of verse 18. There are three things that are amazing for me. Four that I do not understand. So I'm going to use that as a point of takeoff and tell you three things that are amazing to me, and if I got time, we'll do four. And in the process, you're going to learn a little about about me and my wife, and a whole lot you're going to learn about God and about Jesus. So I, I rearranged his list again this time. I looked at them, and number one is still number one. It hasn't changed since I became a Christian 70-some years ago. Why I became a Christian is because of list number one on the list. Number one on the list is that I am amazed, continually amazed, that God loves me. Uh, I was raised pretty dysfunctional. In fact, I, uh, I had a very, very troublesome, hurtful, painful childhood. My mother got pregnant, never lived with my dad. Uh, their relationship was purely physical, and it wasn't very healthy at all. And uh, they never got married. My mother found a a guy to get married to, his name was Johnson, and I became Bobby Johnson for about the first 12 years of my life. Uh, not legally, but just that's where I was living. And he was a mean, 
and uh, terrible drunk. Beat me, beat my mother, beat us kids. It was so bad that when my mother died when I was about eight years old, my sister, stepsister, said to him, where's mama coming home? Because she went to the hospital to have a baby. He slapped her across the face and says, never mention her name again. He never told us she died. He never told us where she was, how come she never came home. That's the kind of stuff that uh, kind of wrenches your psyche. And he was terrible. He was so terrible, in fact, that in the same small town up in northern Washington where I lived, uh, my father saw my real father. He was a good guy. I come to love him and respect him. But I didn't even know he existed until one day there was a knock on the door and a big argument ensued with my stepfather. My mother was dead. And uh, I was running wild. And there was a big argument and finally my father says, my stepfather says, you're going to go live with your dad, put your stuff in a box. And I walked out the door, walked to the another world, another home, another relationship. And that one was kind of rough for a while. My stepmother didn't like having this wild kid to take care of. And it was only a reminder that my dad wasn't all that uh, pure, I guess, when uh, he got my mother pregnant. So I existed, went through high school, started going with this girl here. She is a girl, believe it or not. I mean, she's a young girl. That's why I see her. I see her about 16, 17 years old, in bobby socks, shoes, walking to school, knowing I was going to marry her. You know, a lot of guys say that, you know, but that's true. I knew I was going to marry her. So she went to church. And so I finally liked the beavers so much, I went to church too. I mean, you'll do anything. <laughs> and uh, at one night at the church, the pastor was preaching, and he said this, God loves you no matter what you've done, no matter your past, no matter who you are, God loves you. That's why it's number one on my list. That um, it's, it's just amazing that we, you look how we act down here in this earth. Look how we're tearing everything up. Look at the mess the whole world is in. We're not improving anything. But God loves us. He loved us so much that when we were sinners, he died for us, the Bible says, in Romans chapter 5. And uh, believe it or not, he wants us to have a relationship with him. A friend of mine just died in Alaska, a fellow missionary who I know very, very, very close friend. They had his funeral Friday, and they sang his favorite song. I knew it was his favorite. I've known it was his favorite song for years. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the joy, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy I share as we tarry there, 
none other has ever known. God loves us so much that he even likes us. I can't figure that out. We cause him all kinds of grief. Even when we try our best. But he wants to be with us. In fact, he says in Revelation, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody would hear my voice and let me in, I will come in and we will have fellowship together. I want to be with you. It started that way in the garden. When God was in the garden with Adam and Eve and wanted to be with them. So that amazes me. In fact, if it kind of interests you, I'd, I'd like to, I'm not going to sell this book. I'll give it to somebody if he really wanted it. But this is a book, a new one called Meek and Lowly. Some of you have re- read it, I hear. Uh, it talks about how God loves us. The whole book, it's a recent publication. And uh, just for example, here's the talks about God wanting to be our friend. We should not make Jesus, it says here, domesticate him. He's not just any friend. A few chapters earlier in the Revelation, we see a depiction of Christ so overwhelming to John that he falls down and mobilized. But neither should we diminish his humanness. The sheer relationship desire clearly presented from the mouth of Jesus is Christ himself. He isn't waiting for you to trigger his heart. He's already standing at the door knocking, wanting to come in with you. What's our job? It's to accept Christ at the invitation of us. What we will do for him if we will not feast with him. This book really is a good book, and, and it's one of the reasons it's still number one is because I read this book this last year. I pick it up and read it like a devotional. And it's a book that amazingly describes and explains how God loves us. There's nothing, it says in Romans, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing, neither height, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, or things to come. No height, no depth, nothing in all creation is going to be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's a promise to you as a fallen child of God. God loves you so much that he is never going to let you go. And you cannot disappoint him. If you're out wandering all by yourselves in the mountains like a lost sheep, he will leave the safety where the other sheep are and come and find you. That's the parable he told in the Bible. So that's number one. Number two was emphasized to me this, what's the last week, I think? I got a telephone call. I got, first I got a postcard from Multnomah University. Now when I went eons ago, uh, it was Multnomah School of the Bible. I didn't get a degree, had, they didn't even give degrees then, it was only three years. I came down from Alaska after we fought. I was up there in the Army. Carol and I were married up there in the Army. And uh, uh, we got right with God through all kinds of miraculous things that happened. Uh, and that 
mentor up there says you should go to Multnomah to find out, because I told him I wanted to be a preacher, a missionary. He says we need to go to Multnomah and learn about the Bible. So we came to Multnomah and attended for three years, and I graduated in 1958. Before some of you even knew life existed. <laughs> but they called me up from Multnomah and said, uh, we're doing a project here, and I, I, I didn't catch it right away. I, I felt kind of disappointed after a while, because they actually were writing a bunch of books, and they wanted us to tell how we liked Multnomah because they wanted to sell that book. In fact, they wanted to sell one to me for $100. <laughs> I hung up on But they got me to thinking because he says, what did you like about Multnomah? They're going to record it, and we're going to put it in this book. Pretty crafty. <laughs> but I was serious when I said, coming to Multnomah changed my life. The theme in Multnomah then was, if you want Bible, you want Multnomah. I don't know what the theme is now, or if they have one. But I wanted Bible, and I found Bible at Multnomah. This book is powerful. This book is, ex you can't exhaust the wisdom and the, and the help, the counsel, the guidance is in this book. And uh, so it's right up there in the top one or two of me, uh, of my life. And the guy, when they finally said, well, good, you've done one good, we've got this all recorded now, would you like to, no, it's $200. I can pay payments of 100. <laughs> oh boy. First time I saw something, the power word of God was when we were first the missionaries, we were way out in Alaska. We had to fly four hours in a small airplane to get there. And uh, we uh, lived in this village, no electricity, no running water, just in a small little place. And uh, we were pioneer missionaries. And... Uh, Someone was, I got a letter from someone of my associates and said, there's evangelists going around Alaska villages where missionaries, he's willing to come to your place. Uh, uh, let us know if you can. He'll come and uh, he'll have services for a week. Well, to make a long story short, uh, he came. I had to go down and pick him up at the airport. Everybody had to fly in. There was no roads or anything yet. And so I went down the airplane, loaded all of his magic stuff, and we had services for a week. And uh, he did very simple. He was a good magician, but he would have a Bible theme and then make everybody memorize a Bible verse and then present the gospel by doing all his magic stuff. And uh, everybody loves it. The village filled our little house up where we had church. They just loved it. But what God made is see the power of the word of God because he didn't do anything, uh, you know, he wasn't a razzle-dazzle preacher. He wasn't a sell you something. He just gave the word of God every night, had you memorize it. At the end of the time, 
as he was leaving, he says, now we've told you all these things about God. Uh, and you see what God says in his word about uh, you and about how he loves you. Is I'm going to sit back here in the corner. And if you want to talk to me about it, accept Jesus into your heart, you come and talk to me. I thought, well, this is not going to work. Not with these Indian people. It's not going to work. They hardly ever talk. They hardly ever talk about spiritual things. We sing, and it was a solo duet between my wife and I until our kids could learn to sing. That was when we were first starting out. And I said, this isn't going to work. He sat in the corner. He didn't do anything but sit there with his arms crossed. Our oldest son sat there, too, with four other Indian teenage girls. Mark, our son, got up and talked to him, accepted Jesus. That was a rejoicing thing for us. And on top of that, with, and it took about 20, 30 minutes before anyone ever moved. One by one, those girls got up and all told him they wanted him to, to, they wanted him to believe in Jesus. Long black hair, hardly ever said anything, shy, quiet. And the word of God was so powerful in their lives that they couldn't resist it. Last few years of our ministry, we, we were given a real good opportunity, Carol and I and another missionary couple, to train missionaries in a seminar that goes for a whole week. Missionaries would gather from all over. We were, did this in lots of places and lots of cultures and different countries. But it's called, the seminar is called Sharpening Your, Sharpening Your Interpersonal Skills. Basically, it's how to help missionaries be better people and to get along and to honor God by the way they live together and use nothing but the Bible for five days, learning how to communicate, how to listen, how to deal with problems, and uh, all from the Bible. And lives were changed. It was such a thrilling thing to be able to do that. To see how the Bible had the truth about everything. It's comprehensive. So right up there on my list, number two, I'm amazed at the healing power and the saving power in the Bible. Number three, how are we doing here? I don't see a clock in this place. Oh. I'm not seeing very... I'm, oh, boy. I see why Joel uses that clock. He don't even have to recognize it. I got one here. Number three. And this has changed. Just, I'm moving this one up the list. After the last few weeks of some of the things I've experienced, I've made a couple adjustments on my list. The healing power of forgiveness and the capturing it, the debilitating power of not forgiving. It's huge. 
One of the things when we did this seminar with all these missionaries, you know what the thing they have the hardest trouble with? All these godly people, missionaries, administrators, missionaries that are all over in different countries, missionaries that gave their lives to other people, they always said the same thing when we got to that section of the seminar. The hardest thing they had to do is to learn to forgive. And it's probably hard for you. And maybe some of you haven't even learned it yet. But if you haven't learned it, you're in a prison. For the person you're hating or the person you can't forgive, you're just his prisoner. And I just, it's just amazing. We will let ourselves be mobilized spiritually by not forgiving. The verse that we had the missionaries learn when we had this seminar is Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, put on compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, humility. And forgive one another as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. As we're going to live together in the church, and we're going to experience a church that has power and has vitality, we have to learn to forgive each other. But there are some people who will sit on this side of the church because, and I don't mean I know this, but I've seen this, this they will never do anything because there's somebody in that side of the church they haven't forgiven. So it's big. And I've had to learn that too. My wife has had to learn that. She's had to learn to forgive me. So God's enabling power to forgive is the center of victorious Christian living. It's a supernatural fact. Supernatural act. You read that through the Bible. People who had to learn to forgive or be forgiven. Joseph who had to forgive his brothers. Moses, who had to forgive these ornery, cantankerous people he was trying to lead. David, who had to learn to be forgiven. On and on and on. Forgiveness is, because Jesus, that's what we love about him most. He is a forgiver and he forgives. Well, I think I got time for one more. Number four on my list, I moved it up after some events of the last few weeks. I am amazed at the influence of families to heal or hurt. I, I do, I've done a little counseling in my day and uh, talked to quite a few people. Lots of, most of the time, my counseling in the last 20, 30 years has been with missionaries. I was a missionary director and leader and counseled missionaries. And uh, so they're, they're, they're good people. They're the cream of the crop. They've given themselves to follow Jesus and they've given all and they, and they're wonderful people. But some of them have been raised in some very bad homes. 
You know, they say the most dangerous place to get for accidents is, is at home. Ask any 80-year-old who's fallen off a ladder. Uh, most auto accidents are closer to home. We always think it's somewhere on a trip. And it's down there going to the 7-Eleven in the corner. Um, but it's the same thing as far as the hurt that can happen. I was, my emotional life was wrecked living in a home. I'm still suffering from what I endured living in that home. And I'm not alone, am I? We've got some, uh, man, my brother hasn't talked to me for 30 years. Oh, that's not true. My brother's dead, so I guess that is true. (laughs) That's a a miracle, too. I have to, oh. My family knew nothing about God when I became a Christian, and they thought I had dropped off the end of the earth. They thought I was crazy. Well, the problem was this woman here, she took me to church and made me religious. That caused her, they didn't like her either. It's hard. You got these people you're raised with and you're not, you don't have a relationship with because of uh, all this hurt that can happen. But, and if you're living in a home, it's not a Christian home. It's, well, you decent give the Christian people something. I mean, the people who are not Christians, you give them a little reason why they do that, but. Anyhow, it's so wonderful to see homes where Christ is raised up in the center of their lives and people follow him. And where people can't love each other, can't accept each other, they can't be together, a family. Just read Ann Landers. That's what it's about every time. So it amazes me. But what amazes me most is that I was able to be a father and I was able to have a wife and we were able to raise kids that follow Jesus, who love other people, who serve people. We're not a perfect family, but I'll tell you, it's far cry from the home I was raised in. And the difference was Jesus. That was the difference. You want to have a healthy home to raise healthy kids in, follow Jesus and follow this. Tell them how Jesus loves them. And tell them how they can forgive each other. Really, really important. So do you have a list? You thought about that? Thought about making a list? Does anything amaze you about God? You know, make your own list. You don't have to be ten. I mean, you should have three or four things about God that is amazing to you. That makes you sit up and think. It's, when you sing, how great thou art, my heart skips a beat because, yeah, I really believe that. So wonderful.
So, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter, what chapter is it? It's chapter, the end of the Bible, it's uh, end of the chapter, I should say, uh, chapter 13, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, it's actually page 912 if you're using a, to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith, it says. Test yourself to see where you're at. And one way to do that is to make a list. A list of uh, the things that amaze you about God or the things that you would know, like to know about God. And uh, your life will be changed. So thank you for letting me share from my heart Tell you a little about us and our and uh, our life, but most important, I want you to know that we serve an amazing, wonderful, heavenly Father who loves us and who makes life worth living. Dear Jesus, thank you so much that uh, as I've spoken from my heart and been able to share the wonderful truths of the power of your love. The power of the Bible, the power of forgiveness, and the power of a family that loves each other, and the power of a church family where we can find love and acceptance if we can't find it in our own families. Lord, thank you for giving us a family. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being in our lives, and thank you for wanting to be with us. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church. Church.